Good morning, friends and loved ones. It is so good to be with you this morning in the Word of God. And I want to spend some time with you going over the truths of our life in Christ, expounding the Word of God and the glorious riches of Christ and our great wealth in Him. And I want to use the epistle of the Ephesians, verse by verse, going through this wonderful masterpiece of exposition of our absolute wealth in Jesus Christ and our walking in that wealth. You know, in this wonderful epistle, it's often been said that it's divided chiefly into two major understandings or major divisions. We look in this at chapters 1 through 3, our glorious position in Jesus Christ. We have chapters 4 through 6, our walk in that glorious position. And by the way, brethren, in that second part of our walking in the glorious position in Christ, we also have that wonderful chapter, chapter 6, that explains and talks about the warfare that we are in. And may I just add this morning, before we go on, that warfare, that spiritual conflict that we have between our position and walking with our master and him living inside of us through the Holy Spirit. We have a fight and a battle going on down here on this earth of magnitude proportions. As we get there, we will talk about what it means to be in that battle, how the victory is ultimately won by Jesus Christ. All the apostles talk about it. Jesus talks about it. How in this world we will have tribulation. But be of good cheer. He has overcome the world. And as we get into this study for these next coming days, I want to just emphasize that we have one a wonderful privilege to know the one who created us. And remember, the one who created us is also our Redeemer. The Apostle Paul wrote this letter Some people say that in the original, the word to the Ephesians or in the Ephesians isn't isn't in there. We could basically say that this letter was written to a church that he loved, that he founded, that he was there for quite a while. And also it was a, a circular letter going out to the churches around there. Of course, it is eternal in its its message. It's eternal in its doctrine. And it is for us today, as well as for them back in the first century. This epistle is written, and I love it, to the faithful in Christ Jesus. The faithful in Christ. The ones who have come to understand our great position. Paul lays that out. Brethren, I think that the reason why the church is in such Sad condition today, and I mean the church at large. God always has his faithful, and I want to speak in these series of messages to the faithful, to you and I, that we might have fellowship and understand these great truths. I believe that in these last days that we're in, biblical teaching is becoming a rarity The majority of Christians, and I can go through different polls that have been taken, Barna polls and so forth, most Christians in this 21st century don't even know their wealth in Jesus Christ. They don't know their position. 
and the great honor and privilege they have to be a child of God. No wonder Paul lays out in these first three chapters the absolute wealth we have, and we will spend time, as much as we need, to dissect and go through this wonderful epistle, this letter to these dear people. Now, Paul starts out, and he says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, listen to this, to the saints who are in Ephesus and faithful in Christ Jesus. We want to know, brethren, what God has for us. We want to know what his great vastness of wealth that he is willing to freely bestow upon us in the Beloved. As we go through this, I pray that we would really get a glimpse of our great position and our great calling. We are Christians, not because we believe in a religious sect. We are Christians because we are in Jesus Christ. The Christian life is Christ himself. I want to start out these wonderful expositions by reading to you what Paul says the Christian life is. And I've often said this, but we need to understand in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. Listen to this. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. In the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Jesus Christ gave himself for you and I individually. Do you realize that? Do you sometimes ponder that great uh, understanding? Let me give you another piece of his word we find in Colossians chapter 3. If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things of earth. Listen to this, friends. For you died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Wow. The Christian life is Jesus Christ. We are Christians in the biblical sense, and we are born again not because of some creed, not because we label ourselves thus or go to any type of church or denomination. Brethren, we are Christians because we are in Jesus Christ. That is the Christian life. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 11, that there is no other foundation that can be laid that has already been laid, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ. We are in him in Christ, we have died with Christ. And the Bible says if we have died with Christ, it is certain we will live with him. To the saints who are at Ephesus and faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace, wow. Unmerited favor, we've all heard that uh, wonderful definition of it. Yes, it is unmerited favor. But what is unmerited favor? Is it because God all of a sudden just said, I just want to label some fancy word to you and you can go around and relish in that? 
Or does God tell us that for a reason? He wants us to understand His grace. What is grace? Listen to what Paul says in the epistle to Titus. He says, For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present age. God gave himself for us. This grace, this kindness, is also explained by Paul and Titus when he says, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us. So God had mercy upon us. He loved us and that opened the door that he might flood or lavish his grace upon us. We didn't earn it. We couldn't deserve it. And yet Paul opens his salutation to this wonderful letter and this these truths that he wants to give us by saying grace to you grace my friends God loves you God sent his son to die on a cruel Roman cross for you so that he might take your sin and pay the just penalty for it and you get his righteousness in return the one who comes to Christ and believes that he was on the cross for him. He dies, gets buried, and the Lord Jesus three days later rose again, and his righteousness is deposited to our account. That's grace, my friends. That's a free gift. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, this, the world screams for peace today. We can have peace on the national level. We can have peace on the individual level. Everybody and the nations are crying for peace. Individuals are crying for peace. Most people's lives are so clouded with worry and strife and alcoholism and busyness and sleepless nights and endless worries days because they lack peace we need peace with God we are we're at enmity with God because of our sins the Bible says but your sins have separated you between you and your God and has hid his face from you but when we turn to Christ we receive the forgiveness that he bought at the cross and we are born again we are saved Remember our wonderful verse, and I, I turn to it because I dare not uh, leave out one word or say it wrong, because this is Jesus Christ's answer to being born again. Listen to this. Remember John chapter 5, verse 24. And if any of you have listened to me for any length of time, you know that I love this verse. Because being born again... Being in Christ, being a Christian today is so obscure. There are so many teachers out there that will give you a different answer. There's will give you their understanding. There are so many deceivers out there, brethren. But this is what it means to be born again. John chapter 5, verse 24, Jesus said, Most assuredly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes in him who sent me, 
has everlasting life and shall not come into judgment, but has passed from death into life. Did you get that, brethren? Has passed from death into life. What is being born again or born from above? It's being passed from death, spiritual death, into life in Jesus Christ. So when we read Paul's introduction, he says, Grace to you and peace. Not from the church, not from some guru, not from some misguided teacher, not from somebody that promises you health and wealth, not from somebody that promises you all the things that this human life says that they can promise you. But no, this grace and peace come from God our Father himself and the Lord Jesus Christ. God had mercy on me. He loved me. He sent the gospel that I may hear it and believe. I believe that Jesus came for me because I was lost and I was separated from him. And if this lost and separated condition from him would have lasted and been my lot beyond the grave, I would have been lost and separated from him forever. And yet God sent his son to die on a cross for me and for you. And he rose again three days later and the body was crucified in so that I would understand that God is satisfied for Christ dying in my place, that he is the only sacrifice. He's the only way to heaven. He's the only answer to my lost and undone condition. So now I believe that God sent his son. I believe his word. And Jesus said, assuredly, I say to you, I have passed from death into life. Grace to you and peace. Now I have peace with God. I have peace with the one who created me. I know God. I don't have to have some philosophical understanding of the way life is. I don't have to understand a mountain of ideas and philosophies. I don't have to reason beyond what my uh, simple mind can understand. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. I now know my Creator. I know Him. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I can now have the peace of God. I already have peace now with God because of Jesus Christ. But now I can have in my day-to-day life the peace of God, which the Bible says surpasses all understanding. Think about this, my friends. That is ours in Jesus Christ. But as we read on in Ephesians the first chapter and the third verse, listen to this. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. We are blessed with everything in Christ. Today, as we as we open this introduction to this new uh, set of studies, 
with the wonderful book of Ephesians, I want to emphasize the fact that where the real thing is, friends, there is always a counterfeit. We will get into this more as we get into the sixth chapter and, and, and talking about our warfare and the armor of God that God has given us to walk through this battle that we are going on. But I want to say that true Christianity, again, is being in Jesus Christ. I want to give a warning early on as we look in these precious truths. Satan, our adversary, hates these truths. He does not want these truths to be proclaimed. He does not want these truths to be understood. And that's why we see in the last days, Jesus said in Matthew 24, the first sign that will be of the end of the age, of the signs before his return. Let no one deceive you. There will be false prophets, false teachers abounding. If you go on our website, we have under articles an article titled The Danger of of False Teaching. And we go in there and we list from starting with the Lord Jesus Christ, actually the, the prophets in the Old Testament, the Lord Jesus Christ, the Apostle Paul, the Apostle Peter, the Apostle John, and Jude. We go through these and we list just what they say, how this false teaching is abounding. And one of the reasons why I bring that up, brethren, right now is the fact that there are so many out there that don't even know their wealth in Christ. They don't know what they have in Jesus Christ. There was a story, uh, and it goes something like the fact of a rich, rich uncle of a nephew who he didn't know very well had died. But before he died, the rich uncle had deposited an unlimited amount of wealth in the checking account of this poor nephew. After this nephew was notified of what had happened, he realized that this unsearchable wealth was delivered to his account He was now in possession of it because it was given to him as a gift. He was now in in the possession of wealth unimaginable, but he also realized that he didn't deserve it. He didn't earn it. It was given to him as a gift. My friends, that is nothing in comparison of what we have in the wealth of Jesus Christ. And as I just put that forward, I just ask that you would pray with me this morning that that God would open up his word as we start these studies, as we look into it, and as we see, just to fathom, I can only scratch the surface, but I pray that this would spur you on. You know, when I was first a Christian, my pastor, he instilled in me not only the deep truths of the book of Ephesians, but he instilled in me a love for the word of God, which produced a joy that the apostle Peter says is unspeakable and full of glory. This is the most prized possession we have in our hands is the word of God. And father, I, I pray this morning as we sit together and look at the great riches that are ours in Christ and how to walk within that position I pray that you would open up our hearts. 
that you would enlighten our eyes of our understanding, that we would know the height, the length, the breadth, and the depth of the love that we are afforded in Jesus Christ. Give us understanding, Lord. I pray that the Holy Spirit would guide us in these studies. And that through the Lord Jesus Christ, we come unto thee, our Father and our God, and in the wonderful power of the Holy Spirit, we ask these things. Teach us now your word, in Jesus' name. Amen. Brethren, do you know if, if you come to the word of God expecting to hear from him, that he will speak to you through his word? That is an ironclad security from being led astray. If we study his word, we come to it. It's sad to say, brethren, there's a lot of Christians out there, as as, uh, strange as this might sound, but they truly don't believe in their heart that the Bible is the word of God. They might know it in their mind. They might know how to answer a critic, or they might call it the word of God. But think about this. God will give you the understanding that the Bible is the word of God, that the scriptures were spoken and laid upon holy men by the Holy Spirit to write down the exact revelation to us from God. The Bible is God's word to us. It is not man's word. In fact, Paul says in 1 Thessalonians that he joyed, he was rejoicing that the Thessalonians, when they heard the word from Paul, they realized it was not the word of men, but the word of God, which effectively works in us who believe. We come to the word of God in reverence. What it says, we can believe. God's promises, we can believe, and we can stand on. In fact, the psalmist says, even though the mountains run out into the sea, I will stand firm. Nothing will shake me. No matter what happens in this world, we can stand on the word of God and the word of God alone. Verse 3, he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. You think about that, brethren. Let's go on for a little bit. We'll get back into this. Verse 4, Just as he chose us in him, before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. He chose us in him. He chose us for himself in him before the foundation of the world. You know, this scripture, verse 4, has been taken by so many people and used for a uh, proof text for Calvinism, or proof text for something else. But this text proves that God, in his foreknowledge, and we'll get into that in a little while, maybe in some other studies coming on, but his foreknowledge, foreknowledge means that God knows the end from the beginning and the beginning from the end. He knows things that will come to pass. And yet, we must not allow ourselves to think, well, maybe God chose some, but God didn't choose me. If we believe, as Schofield says, we are one of the elect, or God chose us just by the mere fact that we believe, that we've heard the gospel, that Jesus Christ died for our sins, that he was buried, and that he rose from the dead the third day, and he ascended to the Father, 
that we believe that Christ died for my sins and we are saved. Remember the Philippian jailer in Acts chapter 16? After Paul and Silas were in the, the Philippian jail there, they were preaching the gospel. And he said that they put them in the inner jail and they, they put them in, in stocks. And at midnight, Silas and Paul were praying and singing to the Lord. And a great earthquake happened and, and the doors sprung open and everything. And, and the, the, the jailer came out and he was just trembling that he thought that the prisoner had escaped. And Paul says, we're all here. Be of good cheer. The Philippian jailer, by the way, that's in Acts chapter 16, verse 30, if you really want to read it. Jailer brought them out and he said to Paul and Silas, sir, what must I do to be saved? Paul didn't say, well, you got to be baptized. Well, you got to do good works. Well, you got to go, you know, and be confirmed. Well, you have to be in, you know. No, Paul says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved, you and thine house. He chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. He chose us so that we would be holy. That word means holy. We'll be separated, not only unto him, but separated unto good works, as we will see. Separate unto him. He chose us to be his through Jesus Christ. Because look at closely again, the first part of of verse 4. He chose us in him, in Christ, before the foundation of the world. Remember Jesus on the cross? He suffered more cumulatively than any man that's ever lived. After they had falsely accused him, after they had falsely blasphemed him and spit in his face and hit him and marred him, the Bible says, more than any man, stood before Pilate, and Pilate says, Who are you? Don't you know that I have the power to crucify you or the power to release you? What did Jesus say? He said, you would have no power over me at all unless it would have been granted to you from above. Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners, Paul says, of whom I am chief. He came for you, my friend. He came for me. He's calling through the centuries of love to people that would hear him, that would receive his message and receive his love and forgiveness of sins and offer of eternal life. So he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. That we should be holy and without blame before him in love. Having predestined us, verse 5, to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will. Did you hear that? Having predestined us. Predestination means to mark out or determine beforehand. God knows everything from the, from the beginning to the end, and he marked out a perfect plan. He determined beforehand that those who would hear the precious gospel of his son, that would believe that would dare to believe that that God sent his son into the world for me and for you. That he took upon my sin upon the cross. That, that, That God punished his son where I should have been punished for my sin. 
And yet I have a problem. I have, I, have, I have a lack of standing with God. And yet God punished his son for my sin and gave me a perfect standing and a right standing with himself. It's called justification. God gave me righteousness, all the righteousness of Christ imputed to my account, to my charge. So he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, brethren. Did you realize that? When was the last time you stopped and realized that you are chosen? You know, Jesus said, many are called, but few are chosen. Many are called. You know, I remember reading uh, one time of a gentleman that was talking about the crucifixion and Pilate had nailed up above the cross that saying, and he, he wrote it. This is Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews, is the whole complete saying. And he wrote it in Greek, Aramaic, and Hebrew. And I remember one commentator saying he did that so that the whole world at that time could read in their own language who was up there bleeding to death on that cross. You know, I remember a story that I tell often, but it's, it's near and dear to my heart. I remember a few years before my grandfather passed away, a very religious man, talking about this. And he said, you know, Jeff, he said, nobody ever told me what that man was bleeding to death on that cross for. That man was bleeding to death on the cross for you. He was taking your sin upon the cross And he died for it. Remember when Jesus was hanging there and the sky had grown dark and the rain was coming down. And he said, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And yet we also see at the end when he said, it is finished. John chapter 9, verse 30, 19, verse 30, excuse me. It is finished. The veil in the temple was torn from top to bottom, providing the way to God. It is finished. I am the Savior of the world. I have died under the load of the sin of the world. It is finished. He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy set apart, not only for his possession, as we will see shortly, but that we'd be set apart, that the world may know that Jesus Christ is the Savior of the world. He marked out before, he predestined us to adoption as sons and daughters by Jesus Christ to himself, listen to this, brethren, according to the good pleasure of his will. You know, today in the, the day of, of, of the media, how, you know, there's all this violence and this misfortune and, and uh, it's just a negative atmosphere that we live and it's and it's harsh and it's mean and it's evil. And then you get these false teachers that want to distort the character of God. You know, the character of God is mercy righteousness, upstanding, graciousness. He is wonderful. He loves you. He is willing that none perish, but that all would come to repentance. 
God's character is known through the word of God. Let me read something to you that that I just think is wonderful. And this is just a small part of the word. But remember, brethren, we learn the character of God by the word of God, through the word of God. This is Psalm 145. Listen to what David says. The Lord is gracious and full of compassion, slow to anger and great in mercy. The Lord is good to all and his tender mercies are over all his works. Brethren, he had predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will. Listen, God wanted you and me for himself. That's so much he loves you. Despite the fact that you've lived and I've lived before Christ our whole life, not giving him a second thought. In fact, in the book of Romans, as you see in the first chapter where God gave them up, God gave them up, God finally gave them over. You know why? Because mankind did not even want to retain God in their knowledge. And yet God loves you. God wants you for himself. And God said, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to send my son. And he's going to live that perfect life And he's going to be born of a virgin. He's going to be sinless and spotless, the spotless Lamb of God. And he is going to live among them. And he is going to tell them my love and my words and show them myself. You know why Jesus was constantly saying to see me is to see the Father? Because the Bible says he is the exact representation of his nature. And he upholds all things by the word of his power says the writer to Hebrews. And God said, I want and I'm going to buy back those that I love and want for myself, which is mankind. And I'm going to send my son to take their punishment, that he will take the punishment for their sin. The separation that their sin caused, he will heap upon himself and die for their sins and three days later, I'm going to raise him from the dead. I'm going to tell the world that, that the way to heaven is open. The way to me is open. You want to know your creator? Come to Christ. You want to have everlasting life? Come to Christ. Forgiveness of sins? Come to Christ. He adopted us. Adoption. I love this fact. It's not so much of a, a relationship, although it is, but, it, but it's more of a position. We are now adopted sons and daughters of Jesus Christ. We're gods. You know, in the the Roman world, and I learned this from a a good friend of mine uh, in more ways than one, but in the Roman world, and the way adoption is in the court system now, when you adopt a child, they are as every much yours legally and everything else. They are just like a natural-born son. You've been adopted, predestined by God himself, by Jesus Christ, according to his good pleasure, the good pleasure of his will. Look at verse 6. To the praise of the glory of his grace, he made us accepted in the beloved. He made us accepted. 
good works didn't make us accepted. Our church attendance, our good life, our trying to live by principle, our trying to live by philosophy. Our philosophy is live and let live. You know, if I don't hurt anybody, you know, I should, you know, or whatever your thing is. God, in his grace, remember the unmerited favor. We didn't deserve it. We didn't earn it. Grace is God giving himself to us freely in Jesus Christ. To the praise of the glory of his grace, verse 6, by which he made us accepted in the beloved. How did he make us accepted? By his grace. Now, as we go through these, we're going to come back to the fact that he, God, in verse 3, had blessed us with every spiritual blessing. We are going to go over some of those blessings. Wow. He made us accepted in the beloved. Verse 7 says, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of some of our sins. No, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. Brethren, how are you forgiven? How are you redeemed and forgiven? You're redeemed and forgiven according to the riches of God's grace. We're not on probation. We aren't on a time limit. We aren't on, you better do good or you will. No, we are redeemed through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, and it's according to God's grace. It's according to the riches of his grace. Verse 8 says, which he made to abound toward us in all wisdom and prudence. Now, I'm going to read down to, to verse 14, and we'll get back into to looking at some of these things. Look at verse 9. Having made known to us the mystery of his will, according, again, to his good pleasure, which he purposed in himself. Verse 10, that in the dispensation of the fullness of times, he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on the earth. In him, verse 11, in him also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestined the second time we see that word, being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. That we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of his glory. Well, let me, I know I was going to go to verse 14. Let me stop shy here at verse 12 for a minute. Let's, let's look at this, brethren. Verse 7 says, In him we have redemption, which means paying back with a price. We were redeemed. We were bought back to God with a price. Remember, God is holy. He is just. God cannot allow sin to cohabit with him. There was a problem. We were separated because of sin. Jesus Christ bought us with his own blood on the cross. He paid the price. He was punished for your sin and mine. He tasted death for every man because that's what sin is. Separation in the Bible is death, spiritual death. When we were in this body and without Christ, 
we are spiritually dead. And again, if that goes beyond the death of the body, we are separated from God forever, for eternity. Now the separation is over. I have redemption. I've been bought with a price, Paul says in 1 Corinthians. And the price was that Christ's blood was shed on the cross. And he died a vicarious death for you and I. The forgiveness of sins. And the end of verse 7, I love it. Again, it's according to the riches of his grace. If we knew the riches of his grace and the richness of our position and what standing we have with God, it will change your life. It will set you on fire for the Lord Jesus Christ. You'll love his word. You want to not only tell people of Christ, but to demonstrate that love and that change of life. I can't tell you how many uh, people in early in my Christian life, because again, I had a wonderful pastor that taught me these truths, had said to me, there's something different about you. I don't understand. That's why Peter says that sanctify the Lord God in your heart. Be ready to give an answer to everyone who asks of you with the hope that lies within you. You're different. What's what's What gives? What's going on? Ah, the devil wants to hide these truths. He knows he can't steal your soul because one born of God is God's possession. But what he can do is he can rob you of your joy. He can make your testimony an effect. He can give you a very uh, defeated Christian life, if you will. But we want to boldly proclaim him and look at these truths. Look at verse 8, he says, after he said that he were redeemed by his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of grace, he says in verse 8, which he made to abound toward us in all wisdom and prudence, virtue or excellency, having made known to us, verse 9, the mystery of his will. What is that mystery? The mystery is something that, that's was hidden in ages past but is made known to us Christ the Lamb of God was in the Father's mind eons ago in eternity past the mystery was that God would become a man and die for the sins of the world and pay the price that God's justice demands Excuse me, brethren, for that uh, interruption. As we were talking about the mystery of his will in verse 9, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in himself. You know this this truth that was, uh, it's not anything new. People say that, oh, Christianity is a fairly new religion, you know, compared to Buddhism or, you know, Hinduism or what have you. No, Christianity is not a religion. Christianity is having a personal relationship with, with the God who created everything, not only us, but the universe. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. You know the first chapter of Genesis chapter 1, verse 1? In the beginning, God created. Jesus came out of the grave and said, You go and tell my disciples that I'm going to my God and your God. 
to my father and your father. It's a mystery that was hidden from ages ago and has been revealed to us. And this mystery, this 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 plan from from ages past, it's according to his good pleasure, brethren. It's purposed in him, in him, in him. I can't uh, tell you how much in him. In fact, I want to take a little break right here, uh, if you allow me that privilege. And I want to go over to the book of Colossians. You don't have to turn there if you don't want to, but I'm in Colossians chapter 2. And it's the believer's completeness in Christ. Listen, I'm going to read from verse 9 of chapter 2, excuse me, down to verse 13. Listen to these things. For in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And you are complete in him who is the head over all principality and power. In him you were also circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, buried with him in baptism, by which you were also raised with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. And you being dead in your trespass and and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he has made alive together with him having forgiven you all trespasses. Wow. In him, the mystery, all the, the of God was incarnate in Jesus Christ, became a man, and dying for the sins of the world and blessing us beyond our wildest dreams. Remember, remember our rich uncle who died and deposited that an amount of wealth into the poor nephew's bank account. And that might sound silly, but if we think about that, that is, is, that is just a little bit of the love that God wants you to understand that he has for you and what your wealth is in Christ. He says in verse 10, he says, that in the dispensation of the fullness, <clears throat> excuse me, brother, of times he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth, in him. He says in verse 11, In him we have obtained an inheritance, being predestined, again, marked out beforehand, according to the purpose of him who calls all things according to the counsel of his will, that we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of his glory. Now, that's in the end of verse 12. Let me share something with you. Um, I want to emphasize that it's in him, in him, all of him. You know, my pastor recently was doing a study uh, through the book of Philippians. And as he got to Philippians 4, I just want to show you a wonderful, marvelous truth. In Philippians 4, in verse 1, he says, So my brethren, stand fast in the Lord doesn't matter about your circumstances. It doesn't matter about anything going on. You stand fast in the Lord. And then in verse 4 of that chapter in Philippians, says, Rejoice in the Lord. Our life is in Jesus Christ. The grace has come through Christ. Our redemption is by Christ and Christ alone. 
we have knowledge of the Son of God and of God's character and so forth and the doctrine of Christ through the Bible and the Bible alone. So look at verse 13. In him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. Verse 14, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. Now going back up to verse 11, in him we also have obtained inheritance. Do you know you have an inheritance, brethren? I have an inheritance. You know, it has often been said, and I put it this way, for the unbeliever, this is the best it's going to be. But for the believer in Jesus Christ, this is the worst it's going to be. We have an inheritance in him. We have a home in heaven. Wait until we get to chapter 2, seeing our position is raised up with Christ in the heavenlies. Do you know that's how God sees you right now? Are we not to battle down here? Are we not to victoriously live and share the good news of Jesus Christ and live victoriously? So in verse 11, I've obtained inheritance. Verse 12 says, I first trusted in Christ who should be to the praise of his glory. Verse 13, in him, after hearing the word of the truth, trusting in that and believing the gospel of salvation, When we believed, we were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. You see, brethren, that when after we believed the gospel, we believed that Jesus Christ died for our sins and was raised from the dead, and we receive him as our Savior and our Lord, God fills us with the Holy Spirit. He sends the Spirit of the living God to live within us. And that Spirit does a number of things. Mainly, it seals us under the day of redemption. The Spirit also imparts the the life of the risen Christ in us. He leads us into all truth. He opens our eyes to the truth. I want to go over some of these things in verse 3, back in verse 3, that blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. Let me just read off some of these blessings we've been talking about in our R's in Christ. Listen to this. Verse 4, he chose us in him. He chose us in him. Verse 5, he predestined or marked out as adoption of sons by Jesus Christ to himself. You've been adopted by God himself. Now he is your God and Father. Look at verse 6. He's made us accepted in the beloved. You are no longer under trial, under probation. You no longer have to, well, I hope for, I remember a family member years ago who was a Roman Catholic, always stating, I hope I get there. I hope I can do this. I hope I'm good enough. It's not, I hope, I hope, I hope. Listen, brethren, I am assured of heaven. Why? Because my Lord Jesus Christ has entered into heaven itself to appear in the presence of God for me, the Bible says, and for you. 
I was accepted. Verse 7, I have been redeemed. I have redemption through his blood. My acceptance and being bought back and being made right with God was solely because Jesus Christ's blood was shed on the cross for me. Look at verse 11. In him also we have obtained an inheritance. I have an inheritance. (laughs) You know, Jesus is going to say to those faithful, Welcome to the joy thy master has been prepared for you since the foundation of the world. So let me go over these real quick. What are some of our blessings? We've been chosen in him. We've been predestined to adoption as sons by him. We've been made accepted and beloved because of him. We have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. We have an inheritance that is beyond imagination. Jesus, wow. Let me, uh, speaking about this inheritance, let me read something to you. Remember in, in John chapter 14 when they were in the upper room? Listen, listen to what Jesus said. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. But I go and prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself. That where I am, there you may be also. An inheritance? Wow. And think about this one too, brethren, verse 13. I've been sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. He says that twice in this wonderful letter. Over in chapter 4, verse 30, he says, And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Sealed for the day of redemption. Not sealed unto, maybe you might lose it, not sealed on a specific date, but sealed unto the day of redemption. In other words, the day that Jesus comes back and receives us to himself and or death when you immediately go in the presence of the Lord. We're sealed for that. You know, I want to read something that Paul wrote to the Philippians about this real quick. In Philippians 1, 6, he says, Being confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. We've been sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. Look at verse 14. Who is our guarantee of our inheritance? The Bible never talks about a guarantee because we've lived a good life. Oh, I guarantee I'll make it to heaven because I've been a good person. I had this recently. Um, an individual say to me about another individual, they'll surely be in heaven because they lived a good life. No. The guarantee that is ours in Jesus Christ is that we were sealed by the Spirit himself. That's our guarantee. The guarantee that we are forgiven of sins, that we have eternal life, that righteousness is charged to our account, that we have a right standing with God, and the Holy Spirit has come to live residence within us, that's our seal. That's our guarantee of our inheritance. And brethren, we're only on chap- on verse 14 of chapter 1. He's our guarantee. The spiritual riches of our blessing. 
I know this is a lot to take in. I know I get excited, brethren. Please don't let me get ahead of you. If I do, just take notes and go back and read some of these things. Remember, in verse 1, this is written to the saints in Ephesus or to all the saints of all time that are faithful, faithful in Jesus Christ. Wow. You know, Paul will write to the, the Colossians, and he will say the same thing to the saints and faithful brethren in Christ. Faithful brethren in Christ will know the riches that have been that is theirs. Oh, the absolute wealth of our position in Jesus Christ. No wonder Paul can write uh, to the Philippians. I think it's Philippians chapter 1, verse 21. No wonder he can write, For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. We have an inheritance, brethren, that has been that has been bought for us. We are going to spend all eternity with the one who gave his life to set us free. The one who gave his life that we might know God and have eternal life in him. Wow. I want to stop here for today and ask that if you have never heard these truths, or if you've heard these for the first time, that you would thank the Lord Jesus Christ, first of all, for coming and dying for you. That you would thank the Father that sent the Son in the world to be the propitiation or the satisfying sacrifice for you because he loved you that much. How can we turn away from such great salvation How can we turn away from him who cries out from the cross, I love you? You know, the cross of Jesus Christ shows God's hatred for sin. Christ died for sin. God hates sin. And yet on the other side of that two-edged sword, God shouts and shows his love for us at the cross of Jesus Christ. If you've never placed your faith in him, if you've never realized that Christ died for you, that you might come to God, that you might have forgiveness of sins, that I pray that today you would come before him and kneel before him, admit that you're a sinner, and that you've been separated from God who loves you and desires to have you for himself because of sin, and that you would receive the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior from sin. And you will be, my friends, what they call born again, passed from death into life, and now God becomes your Father. Jesus Christ is passed from being a judge to your Savior and your Lord. I pray that you would give these things some thought and what we've talked about today, some thought. Friends and loved ones, I, I appreciate the time we spent together. And when we get to the net together next time, we will start from verse 15 of chapter 1. And as we go through this wonderful epistle, we will be going through the Bible, tying these truths together. How God from the beginning, from the beginning, all the way from Genesis, all the way through Revelation, unfolds his perfect plan of love and redemption through the Lord Jesus Christ. 
and the great riches that we have in Christ. Brethren, you are rich beyond all imagination. I pray that you would relish in that richness. And until next time, God bless you. I'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye.